0: Good morning, Hovell. Will you stand and worship with us? Welcome people this morning next to us.
1: Welcome. 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 we're good. It's all good. Good morning, Hope Vale. Welcome. We are excited that you're here today to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are you excited? Yeah! This kind of foggy morning, my hope and prayer is that as we leave this place, we will see Jesus a little more clearly than we, when we entered. Not just in a physical sense outside, but literally inside of us, right? I just want to share a quick announcement with you. We've gone through our uh, annual process of going through our annual business meeting and our vote on a, a few different things, and so I just want to update you on that process. Uh, we have approved three new elders, uh, Bill Klein Bill Klein. George Puya and Jay Wheeler. We welcomed uh, them to the board this weekend at our elders retreat. So we thank you for approving that process. Um, also, Jenny Fitzsimmons is our church clerk uh, for another year, and Aaron Stell is our treasurer as well. In addition to those things, we have approved um, some minor bylaw changes. Um, nothing constitutional in the sense of uh, deep theological things, but it's more the surface things on how we conduct business. AND THEN ALSO YOU APPROVED OUR MINISTRY SUPPORT PLAN uh, FOR THE FIRST SIX MONTHS OF THIS YEAR. WE'RE IN THE PROCESS OF CHANGING um, OUR FISCAL YEAR TO A JUNE 30TH YEAR end, SO THAT SUPPORT PLAN HAS BEEN SET IN PLACE FROM JANUARY 1ST THROUGH JUNE uh, 30TH. SO WE THANK YOU FOR THAT. WE APPRECIATE THOSE OF YOU THAT ARE MEMBERS AND INVOLVED AT A LITTLE DEEPER LEVEL IN THAT PROCESS. AND WE THANK thank YOU FOR uh, COMING OUT TO THE BUSINESS MEETING. For those of you that are both members and guests, you're welcome to be a part of that process moving forward as well. So we thank you for that. Uh, in addition to that, I hope that you are excited to be here today. Um, we have the opportunity to, to worship our Lord and Savior, right? And, and what better way than to gather together as a body? So as we um, get ready to enter back into worship, we have the opportunity every single week to um, to give back to the Lord a portion of what he's blessed us with. And so we're going to take up our tithes and offerings, and as we do that, I just simply want to remind you that uh, we hope that this isn't done out of obligation, but we really hope that it's done out of an overflow and an abundance and a joyful heart, that uh, you see yourself partnering with Jesus and with the Lord and what he's doing both in and through his church here. So let's pray and uh, we'll take our offering. Father God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together as a part of your body. And Father, it is our prayer and our desire that we would just slow down and we would stop and we would take a breath. And we would truly think about who you are and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer this morning, Lord, that we truly would see you a little clearer as we go through this experience together, as we hear from Pastor Dan, as we hear from your word, Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you make yourself known to us in a much deeper way than when we entered? God, thanks for the many things that you've given to us and that you've blessed us with. Father, today we return a portion of that to you to really help further your kingdom, to go about the work that you've called us to be about, not just as leaders of a church, but as part of a body. Father, that your word would be taken forth and heard by many. God, thanks for the love and compassion that you have for each one of us. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
0: stand and continue worshiping with us.
2: This is God. Come, Lord Jesus come. sing it out with us even so come, Lord Jesus, come. let's just keep singing to church even so come Lord even so
0: 33rd Psalm verse 20 says we wait in hope for the Lord he is our help and he is our shield so at our lowest we have to have that faith that God is in control it's easy to have faith when we're up on a mountaintop but God is still down in that valley when we're down so we wait because he's coming soon and so we wait, we wait
2: for you,
0: and God,
2: we wait. You're coming soon. Yes, we. See you.
0: call us blessed when we're poor in spirit. But that word poor means begging. That our heart is begging for more of you. This hope that in my darkest hour, my lowest time, even then you are my shield and the enemy can't get to me. Because you're in control, you're my daily bread in the air I breathe. We want more of you, Lord. So I pray that you soften our hearts, warm our hearts this morning to hear more of you. Amen.
3: You Go ahead and have a seat. Morning, made it through the fog, yes, crazy stuff, I was here earlier this, coming in today, and if the lights were not on, I think I would have blown by the church. I mean, i made that drive in my, not literally in my sleep, but close. And it was great to uh, make my way in here. So last week, how many of you here were last week? Woo! We kicked off a new series on the Beatitudes entitled #blessed. Hashtag Blessed. It's a series about living and learning the Beatitudes of Jesus. This section of the Bible from Matthew chapter 5, where we find the clearest teaching and most truthful words about the blessings of God that you'll find anywhere. And as we saw last Sunday, this created world of ours, the pages of Scripture, and God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, they all shout the exact same message, that God loves to bless people. God loves to bless people. His Heart toward us is kind, not cruel. It is generous, not stingy. And so when we talk about the blessings of God, the question is not, does he or doesn't he bless? No, that's not it. But rather it's, how does he bless? And who does he bless? And the answers to those very questions are at the core of these eight blessed are statements from the very lips of Jesus to people back then as well as to us here today. Now, as part of the opening message last week, I had you stand with me. We read through the Beatitudes together, and I'd like us to go ahead and do that again. So stand, if you are able, and let's go ahead and read this together. Here we go. All right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well done. Go ahead. You can have a seat. Now, you'll also remember from last week that I gave you uh, this homework assignment, an assignment that you're going to have both for this week, but also for the entire series, that with the Beatitudes, we want you to read them, to memorize them, to pray them, and to live them. Read them, read them aloud with your mouth, right? Memorize them, let it get into your head. Pray then so it works its way into your heart and then live them out, hands, feet, wherever God takes you. That is the goal for all of us here. However much we might know about the Bible or wherever we might be in our journey with God, these words from Jesus are for everyone who wants to lead a blessed life. Like we said, too, to help you with uh, that homework, we created uh, some resources, right? That there is a page uh, for our series on the website at hopefield.org blessed, where you can download the Beatitudes as a wallpaper for your phone, for your tablet, for your computer. Just curious, how many of you did that? All right, good, tremendous. And if you haven't, it's pretty easy, and we've got some step-by-step instruction pa- uh, instructions on that page to help walk you through it. We have also created these cards that we've printed up that you can pick up at our ministry desks out in the lobby, which, by the way, so popular, we ran out of them last week after the first service. So let me just say, those of you who are like 9 o'clock regulars, there really are some benefits, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of envy later on, and I thought, yeah, we need the Beatitudes, right? So... We have enough of these, actually. If you want more, uh, you're able to take those as well. So whether you go with a digital copy or a paper copy, the goal's the same. Read them, memorize them, pray them, live them out, right? Live them out. That's what we want to do. Live them out in this church, beyond the four walls of this church, right? By the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, to help you do that, the goal of this series really then is to drill down into each of these eight blessed R statements. And we're going to start with the first one today. But before we do that, I've got one more quick place of review for you, right? Last week, I shared these three foundational themes about the Beatitudes, this lens, so to speak, of how we should look at them, of how we can understand and make sense of where Jesus is coming from where he's, when he says these words. So let's go ahead and touch on these briefly again, that first of all, the Beatitudes are upside down. They're upside down, that God views a different uh, blessed life differently than we do. So when Jesus comes to announce and inaugurate the arrival of God's kingdom here on this earth, it's clear that his teachings run contrary to both the expectations of the people, but also the party line of the religious leaders and what they told everybody about God's blessings. So as Jesus, the one who is full of grace and truth, he's not interested in giving us what we think we want with God's blessings? No, he came to bring us what we really need. The Beatitudes are upside down, the Beatitudes are also inside out. That a blessed life starts by what happens in us, not what happens to us. Again, Jesus' words are revolutionary, they're counterintuitive. So we think you know, that a deep and abiding happiness that our hearts long for is gonna come from a person Right, or a position or a possession or a profession, right? God's richest blessings, we think, as the world tells us, comes from the outside in. But Jesus says it's actually the opposite. The true blessedness starts not with a change of fortune, but a change of hearts. Right? A change of hearts so that we don't have to go through life at the mercy of our circumstances. I'm blessed when things are good and cursed when things are bad, right? No. No, God's blessings transcend our circumstances. Why? Because blessings don't work from the outside in. They work from the inside out. And then finally, Beatitudes are one step forward. They're one step forward that the Beatitudes our roadmap to follow, not a random list to choose from. So the idea here is that the sequence of the Beatitudes matters, right? There is a reason why they are ordered the way they are because each one is flowing from the one before it. And so when we read this list of eight bless our statements, instead of trying to do everything at once, or starting with something more difficult like being a peacemaker. And Jesus says, no, I just want you to start at the beginning. And then from there... I invite you to take one more step forward. And in addition to the word picture of a roadmap last week, I also mentioned this illustration of a plant and how it grows from Pastor Colin Smith, that just like the roots of a plant, the Beatitudes start below the surface, right? What's going on in here, inside of us? I put together this slide to kind of show you what I mean, to give you a visual, right? So if you look up here, you'll see, right, Roots, shoots, fruit, reactions, right? So the first three Beatitudes are the roots. They're they're the work that God wants to do in our hearts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn the mournful. Blessed are the meek. And as as that is working its way in us, it begins to show, right? Shoots, like early buds on a plant. creates in us a spiritual hunger. And out of that spiritual hunger, fruit begins to develop in our lives. The merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, right? It's all coming, right, from change that happens from the inside out. And this beautiful fruit is lived out in our lives as God progressively changes us, conforming us into the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, because of this world we live in, when we live that way, rooted in in the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's consequences. There are responses, right? There are reactions. And we will be persecuted because of righteousness, Jesus says. And so whether you picture the Beatitudes as a roadmap, or you envision them as a plan, either way, they communicate to us that the sequence matters right? The sequence matters. But not only that, that last foundational theme also shows us how important this first beatitude really is, right? That if you and I want to experience the blessings of God, if we want to lead a blessed life, then we all have to start in the exact same place, right? We all start right at the beginning. That's true for those of us who are long-timers. It's true for those of us who are newcomers. It's true for the spiritual giants. It is true for the spiritual zeros that no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, whether your life is filled with successes or it is riddled with failures, the invitation to experience God's blessings is right there for all of us, and it begins with this first step forward. And so let's go and take, take a look at that in greater detail. We find that in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. And to get some context, we're actually going to start a little earlier than that toward the end of chapter 4, right? And so Matthew chapter 4, to kind of let's paint the setting for the Beatitudes, beginning in verse 23, it says this, that Jesus went throughout Galilee, te- teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus started his ministry around the age of 30, and what we read here is early on in the game when the buzz about him is just starting to build, right? People are just starting to pay attention to Jesus. In other words, he's not quite trending just yet, okay? But word is traveling. And as you can see here, he is doing some incredible things. He is teaching profoundly in the synagogues he is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom he is healing every sickness and disease among the peoples verse 24 news about him spread all over the region of syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain the demon possessed those having seizures the paralyzed and he healed them whatever the ailment that's why there's this longness here Jesus demonstrates his authority over every kind of sickness, every kind of disease, through all these healing miracles. And just to clarify something, you need to understand that for Jesus, the miracles and the message always go together, As part of his ministry, the miracles and the message, they always go together. They were a package deal so that when Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of heaven has come, a kingdom that is far greater and more powerful than anything else on this earth, including sickness, including disease, and ultimately he proved including over death, these healing miracles made people stop and pay attention to take seriously what he was saying So the demonstration of his uh, authority through these hearing miracles backed up the proclamation of his authority, right? The demonstration backed up his proclamation. As a result then, verse 25, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Large crowds followed him. Followed him not in the sense of discipleship and obedience, but followed as in literally traveled with him. They went where he went. Large crowds of them, Matthew says. So Jesus is now kind of reaching this rock star status. He is going from one place to another, and the crowds are building. And so now we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. He began to teach them. So this is the background to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And what is interesting here is that this sermon he's about to deliver isn't to the masses. It isn't to these large crowds that are following him. No. What does it say here? That Jesus sits down on a mountainside, his disciples come to him, and he began to teach them. Not the whole crowd, but just his disciples. Now, at this early point in Jesus' ministries, the disciples are not just those 12 we read about later on. No, it's a group bigger than that who want to learn from Jesus, right? After all, that is really the essence of the word disciple, a learner. So the group here that Jesus is speaking to is much smaller than the crowd, but it's bigger than the 12. And so at this point in Jesus' ministry... He wants to call a timeout, right? Now, before this, Jesus mania gets out of control. He pulls away from the crowds. He gathers his followers, and he says, okay, ignore all the hype, because I need to tell you more. I need to tell you more about God. I need to tell you more about his kingdom. I need to tell you more about his blessings. And he starts with that very first beatitude verse 3 Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven this is the first of his eight beatitudes and it is also now your memorization homework for the week blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and also then thinking back to those foundational themes right this is the starting point For everyone who wants to experience God's richest blessings, who wants to lead a blessed life, it begins right here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word translated poor here is one you see multiple times throughout the New Testament. It is the same word used to describe a poor widow who puts two small copper coins in the temple treasury and is applauded by Jesus. We also see it in reference to a beggar in Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And so the basic idea with the word poor here isn't just poor as in, I don't think I've got enough to go out to eat for lunch after church. It's not, oh my, I might have to hold off on that iPhone upgrade I've been wanting. No, this is poor as in impoverished. Poor as in worried about where your next meal is coming from. This is poor as in desperate enough to shamelessly beg for what you need to survive. It is that kind of poor. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the impoverished, but he's not talking about material poverty, is he? Is he? No. What is he talking about? He is talking about spiritual poverty. He is talking about a desperation of the soul where deep within we feel this bankrupt condition before god and yet as miserable as that sound jesus says these are the people who will experience the richest of god's blessings the richest of god's blessings initial entrance and permanent citizenship into the kingdom of heaven The kingdom of heaven, a realm where no place and no experience on this earth can even begin to compare. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the impoverished, blessed are the bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's what Jesus says, but what does Jesus really mean? And what does it mean for us to be poor in spirit? Well, let me give you a basic definition And then we'll flesh it out in greater detail. We'll look at a couple other Bible passages. But here's the bottom line To be poor in spirit means this that when it comes to my standing before God and keeping His righteous requirements, I have nothing, I bring nothing, I can do nothing, I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing. I bring nothing, I can do nothing. I am spiritually bankrupt. That If there was some kind of moral bank account that measured the worth of my goodness in earning the favor of God, my balance would be zero, right? Or better yet, it would be overdrawn, right? NSF, not sufficient funds. And if that sounds pretty gloomy to you, well, it is. Actually, it's worse. Because the Bible says elsewhere that even our best religious attempts to win God over are like filthy rags and heaps of rubbish in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because we have nothing. We bring nothing. We can do nothing. Nothing of any kind of genuine worth to God. That's what it means when you say that you are poor in spirit. So this is what Jesus says. This is what the Bible affirms. The question is, do we really buy it? Do we really believe that about ourselves? And not just up here, but also in here, that the good news of God's blessings actually starts with some really bad news about ourselves. And I can tell you right now that there are some people here and out there who just can't and just won't accept that to be true of themselves. They won't. And why won't they? Because it flies in the face of our inflated self-worth, flies in the face of all the positive affirmation we hear from others, messages like, you're such a good Christian person, or the ones we tell ourselves, like, I really am kind and helpful, or at least I'm not as bad as that other person, right? And so we believe all the press, all the hype about ourselves, right? Because to admit the other is pretty desperate. And let's face it, we live in a time that pushes for positive self-esteem in all facets, right? The belief that the biggest problem in our society, right, can be traced back to negative thinking and low esteem. And so schools and parents and advertisers, we keep pumping out the same message over and over again. You're great, you're a tremendous way to go. We give out these big stickers, these bright, shiny trophies for everything, and so a child turns in a poorly done homework assignment, and they're told, great job, for fear of crushing their spirit, or a Little League team finishes last in their division, but they get the same size trophy that the champions get, right? Because heaven forbid we ever tell the truth, heaven forbid we share constructive feedback or somehow designate that there are actual wins and losses. Here, by the way, is the total irony with our kids, right? We as adults try to protect our children from the harshness of reality. And yet the truth is our kids know the real deal, right? They do, they know what's going on. They're smarter than we think. And so even though the peewee little league doesn't keep score, the kids are doing it, right? They're doing it right up here. They know the deal. A couple years ago, professional football player James Harrison, Pittsburgh Steelers, created quite a stir on social media when he posted this picture along with this text back in August of 2015. This is what he wrote. "'I came home to find out that my boys had received two trophies for nothing, participation trophies. While I'm very proud of my boys for everything they do and will encourage them till the day they die, these trophies will be given back until they earn a real trophy.'" I'm sorry, I'm not sorry for believing that everything in life should be earned and I'm not about to raise two boys to be men by believing that they're entitled to something just because they tried their best because sometimes your best isn't enough and that should drive you to want to be better and not cry and whine until somebody gives you something to shut you up and keep you happy. Hashtag Harrison family values. Wow. Wow. And by the way, if you're upset at him, I, I think he's playing later on this afternoon. Six foot one, 240. Mean dude, man. You don't want to mess with him, right? And so when he posts this message, you know, some people were outraged. Others said where to go. But here's what I want to say let's take that sports participation trophy analogy and let's bring it into the spiritual realm, okay? There are a lot of us who go running around in life, we feel good about ourselves. Because we have all these religious participation trophies, right? Trophies that really in the end mean just jack squat to God, but to us we think, wow, look at how great I am, right? And so we we cling like, look, I go to church. Look, I, I pray a lot. Look, I... I I put money in the offering plate. Look, I'm so much better than my relatives who smoke or drink or cuss or can't keep a job or whatever, right? And we we have all these trophies, and we just kind of carry them on in life thinking God's going to be so impressed with us, right? By the way, you can get four of these for a dollar at the dollar (laughs) store, right? (laughs) We may not say that, but we think it. Deep down, because of the good person we are, because of the good things we do for others, we see ourselves as rich in spirit, right? Maybe not filthy, stinking, spiritually rich like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, but morally rich enough to believe that the kingdom of heaven is ours because we have done something of worth to offer to our God. But sometimes, no, actually all the times, the Bible says our best, just isn't enough. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands to see if that's how you really think about that when it comes to your own life. Ultimately, that's between you and God. But if you think that you are rich in spirit because of your goodness, because of your morality, because of your religion, you wouldn't be the first person to do so. You wouldn't. No, actually, This is the life story of the Apostle Paul, the second most significant person in the New Testament after, of course, Jesus, right? And so as Paul recounts his past in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, beginning in verse 4. and talking about his life, he says, I myself have reason for such confidence, confidence in my flesh, in my moral resume. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in their religious performance, I have more. And he begins to list, right, the trophies, circumcised on the eighth day like every good Jewish boy should be, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul said, when it came to being religious and and doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts, I kept the law, faultless. Now, we're not going to dissect this any further. Just know that everything that Paul's saying here about himself, who he is, where he came from, what he achieved, how well he lived, all this would have been incredibly impressive to anyone somewhat familiar with Judaism, right? This is top-notch, high-caliber, Harvard-esque stuff. And his religious trophy case was jam-packed full. And so for much of his life, he took great pride before God and before others in all that he had done how rich and wealthy in spirit he was until verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What more I consider everything. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things surpassing worth hold on to that thought verse 8 look at this i consider them garbage that i may gain christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law that comes from my performance that comes from how good i am but a righteousness that is found through faith in christ the righteousness that comes from god on the basis of faith i consider them garbage rubbish scholars tell me that the word Paul actually uses here is one that I cannot say in church, right? I can't, or if I did, I'd better say goodbye to my job. But imagine the worst thing you've heard on the playground in the locker room. You get a sense of the ugliness of what Paul's trying to communicate here. Everything in my life that I thought of was a worth in the eyes of God, everything that I thought that made me rich, I now realize it is total junk. It is worthless. And to think that I was basing my life on a bunch of really impressive looking religious particip- participation trophies, they, they had no value at all in the eyes of God. And I never would have seen that, Paul goes on to say, if it wasn't for Jesus and his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection. That because of him, I can now call my own this trophy of infinite worth. This perfect righteousness of Jesus, it's now mine on the basis of faith, and it's not because of what I can do for God, but it's because of what Jesus has already done for me. And so this perfect righteousness, this absolute forgiveness, it doesn't come to the self-believing rich in spirit who cling to the religious resumes who feel morally superior to others, but rather it comes to the poor in spirit, the impoverished, the beggar, who knows they have nothing, they bring nothing, they can do nothing. And so in the desperation of their spiritual poverty, they run to Jesus, even though their sin is great. And even though their sin is great, they discover that God's grace is greater still blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven this is paul's story his life changed forever by the grace of jesus christ and it can be our story as well look at this when we acknowledge our poverty of spirit it awakens us and only then will it awaken us to the riches of christ that's when we see jesus that's when we, by faith, experience his perfect righteousness as our own. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, but it begins with bad news. It begins with an admission. It begins by saying, I am, you are, we all are, poor in spirit. And so the real question is, can you be humble enough? Can you be honest enough to accept that about yourself? Because if you are then you have access to God's greatest blessing. The gospel that says Jesus wants to give you his righteousness. Jesus wants to bless you with his righteousness, with his mercy, with his forgiveness. This perfect, this necessary righteousness that is needed for the kingdom of heaven that you and I can never earn on our own. You know, when I think about this choice, this decision, I'm reminded of a very simple and clear-cut passage that is near and dear to my heart. 1 Peter 5, chapter 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace. Do you you think that you're rich in spirit, or do you know that you're poor in spirit? Because if you don't think or know that you're poor in spirit, then God won't give you what you don't think you need, right? That's why it says he opposes the the proud. And you really could just take this passage and substitute out proud and humble and replace it with rich in spirit and poor in spirit. Right? Those of us who think we are rich in spirit are those of us who know the desperation of what it means to be poor in spirit before God. God opposes the proud but gives his grace to the humble, to those who know that they are poor in spirit. I hope you understand that because this really is the starting point of the Christian life. This really is the way you and I tap into the deepest and richest blessings that God wants to share with us. The blessings that come from being welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. You know, the first beatitude really is upside down because it shakes every religious notion within us. And it really is inside out. It begins with an honest confession about our spiritual poverty in here. It doesn't matter how impressive we look out here, it begins in here, and recognizing our spiritual poverty. And this first beatitude, it is one step forward. It's just like a 12-step recovering alcoholic. You don't try to tackle beatitudes 6, 7, and 8 first. But rather, the journey starts right here with owning your own desperation and helplessness so can you do that will you own that have you own that will you continue to own that see i don't care if you are new to this church or if you have been a christian for 50 years that apart from jesus and his perfect righteousness we're all poor in spirit see the riches of his gospel aren't just for some one-time decision we make no they are meant for the entirety of our lives whether we are part of his kingdom here on this earth or are living in his kingdom forever in heaven with him Now, I can't make you believe that you're poor in spirit, but I want you to believe you're poor in spirit. Spiritually bankrupt with only a bunch of worthless participation trophies to your name. Because in the end, there are two kinds of people, the deserving and the desperate. The deserving and the desperate, the deserving people think that everybody owes them something, including God, because they're so wonderful. But desperate people, they know better. They know better because they know the truth about themselves. And here's the thing about desperate people. Desperate people do desperate things. And they don't care what it looks like. They don't care what other people think. No, they run to Jesus. They run to Jesus with empty hands, right? nothing in them, and open hearts. And they cling to his righteousness. They wholeheartedly believe in his gospel. And as they do, they experience the greatest possible blessing God could possibly ever give us. And so we run, we cling, we believe. Blessed are you when you know that you're poor in spirit. And the desperation of your spiritual poverty drives you to find your riches in Jesus Christ because it is there and it is only there where the kingdom of heaven is truly yours. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And after that, we're going to respond with a song of worship. But before that, I want to do something we don't typically do in our services here at Hope Bell. And the reason we don't normally do it is we're not about shaming people or singling people out, right? It's not what we do because that's not how God is. But after going through a passage like this, to talking about the desperation of our spiritual poverty... And how desperate people do desperate things. I feel like we need to put our beliefs to the test. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask those of you in here who know that you are poor in spirit to stand right now. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or today is your first day that you have been awakened to your need for Jesus. That wherever you might be in your spiritual journey, I want you to stand because when you are poor in spirit, you care more about the truth than what other people think. And when you're poor in spirit, you are humble enough to tell God, to tell others, to tell yourself that you need Jesus. You need Jesus now, always, and forever. So let us cling to the riches of Christ because we know the poverty of our spirit. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit for yours is yours. It's the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, these words are like a bucket of cold water across the face and into our souls. They're shocking. They're they're not these positive, self-affirmational statements that our real problem is life, that we just need to bump up our self-esteem. No, these words strip us to the core. These re- words reveal our desperation. Right? I am desperate for you, we say. And so we come with empty hands. We've let go of all those phony cheap worthless religious participation trophies and with empty hands and an open heart we say jesus be mine jesus i want i need the riches of your righteousness and god for those who this is the first time the light bulb's gone on for them to flood their hearts with your love and forgiveness because finally they're broken of their pride and that has opened the floodgates of your grace upon their life. For those of us who know you and are following you, renew our hearts, revive our hearts. If we've gone astray or if we've gotten too full of ourselves, may this be the demolition and renovation of the project you're doing within us to bring us back to this place of start where we say to you, Jesus, poor in spirit and we need the riches of your love your grace your mercy and forgiveness and as we cling to that we know we experience and we believe that the kingdom of heaven is ours we pray in jesus name amen i'd like all of us to stand we're going to respond with this song as worship to our God. Praise is on our lips for all that he has done, is doing, and will do for us. We just express our appreciation to the Lord. Can we do that? (sighs) If you are looking for a motivational pep talk on how you could have more faith for that new BMW of yours, I'm, I'm sorry I let you down. No, I'm not sorry. Because we don't want blessings the way we envision them in our minds or the way we covet them in our hearts. We want God's blessings, the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. And it begins with the poor in spirit. Next week, uh, we're going to continue to the second. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But as you go from here, may the grace of Jesus flood your heart so that his praise will forever be on your lips. God bless you.